It's no secret that for years, CIOs and CTOs have stressed about the idea of undergoing digital transformations. After all, the adoption and implementation of new technologies can be stressful, but the timeline to complete this roadmap is often littered with obstacles and delays. Jay Jameson knows this all too well. It was during his time at Hewlett Packard Enterprises that he began wondering if there was a better, more efficient route. Turns out there was. I don't want to go to a CIO and say, look, it's going to take you three years to get this solution when it really is going to be five. We're going to get you a solution in place that's going to create value for your business in like this quarter. The solution Jay is referring to is the growing use of low-code application platforms. Today, Jay serves as the chief product and technology officer at QuickBase, a low-code solution that is being deployed by Fortune 500 companies such as Southwest, Columbia, and Sirius XM Satellite Radio. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Jay takes us into what that low-code solution looks like and why it might be the remedy to the stress of digital transformations. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome everyone. Today on IT Visionaries, we have Jay Jamison. He is the chief product and technology officer for a low-code company called QuickBase. Low-code is hot. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Albert. It's nice to be here. All right. We got to get right into it, QuickBase. We tell every person that comes on the show, you work at QuickBase. Tell me what QuickBase is and what does it do? Yeah, great. So QuickBase is a low-code application development platform that makes it easy for teams uh, of developers or non-developers to build business applications quickly that digitize or streamline any workflow in their organization that needs streamlining. Got it. So when most of our listeners hear that definition, I think they probably start thinking products like Zapier or something like that, where you're taking one application, connecting it to another. What is unique about QuickBase and why is it different from a product like a Zapier? Yeah, for sure. So what is you know unique about QuickBase is we're a fantastic blend of being very easy to use and we give you give customers the ability to build very powerful line of business applications. So, you know, an example would be we have a large scale airline, you know, one of the big domestic carriers uses us uh, very extensively to build line of business thousands of business applications to help streamline all manner of their business. Uh, Whether it is like if you lose your luggage and you need to fill out a claim, that whole process of how you track that, that process is built on QuickBase. So we're a a full pass to use kind of a tech term of kind of everything from the database to the workflow to the presentation layer we make available over the internet. And we provide an easy way for people to drag and drop and craft full-fledged applications. What you're mentioning with something like like Zapier, which is a partner and a great product, is much more about connecting uh, different systems, which we also do because customers want to be able to take QuickBase and connect it to their ERP or their CRM and whatnot. But we go that next step of providing a full 
pass, a full application development platform for users to build upon. So in that sense, QuickBase is almost like its own language. Yeah, well, it's its own platform. Absolutely. So let's take it back a little bit and talk about how you got into working at QuickBase because low code has been, you know, it's more popular now. And we talked, we had another guest on a little earlier and he was talking about how low code has been around for a while, but it's just that the technology wasn't quite good enough to make it useful across, let's say, scaled adoption, right? It was useful inside of maybe a single application or something like that. Right, sure. So he mentioned that the technology's improved quite a bit. Right, right. What is What do you think fundamentally has changed to make low code start exploding? I know that, you know, obviously QuickBase has been an exciting product. It's had, getting through some acquisition events. So people are clearly adopting to the product. What, in your perspective, has changed to make low-code applications like QuickBase become more readily available, better, or you know, all the above, really. Yeah, sure. So it's interesting. I think what's happened is you just have such a huge demand in businesses of all sizes to digitize your business. I mean, you, you, you often hear, you know, all kinds of business leaders will say, you know, we're a digital company. You know, there's a, a famous quote from the, the, the leaders at Virgin Airlines where they say, we're really a software company with wings, that kind of thing, <laughs> where it's like, we're software for we're digital first. And so you can see that pressure sort of how, you know, you look at, you talk to Marriott and you'll say, well, geez, if Airbnb is going to come and disrupt this whole world, we've got to really rethink what's our digital strategy. So digital is such a sort of primary sort of driver of strategy in each and every business in each and every sector. And at the same time, despite that really high demand for digital being front and center, you've got this huge shortage of supply of technical talent, right? You've got tens of thousands of open racks for engineers at places like face at the combination of Facebook, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon. And when you sort of think if they can't hire all that great talent, how is every other company in the world going to hire the talent they need to sort of attack that, that mountain? And so when you have a huge demand with a very limited supply, you realize something's got to give. And I think what's happened is that's been the driver. And then at the same time, you've had low-code platforms like QuickBase and others that have really sort of shown up as, hey, we are you know, really powerful. We can, you know, we're scalable. We can perform. We're secure. And we're easy enough to use that you don't need to go find those developers or you can have far fewer of them. And now you have tools that can actually sort of help you bridge that gap of digitizing your business to serve your customers better and better fulfill your mission. And you can do it without adding a whole bunch of developers that are really hard to get and expensive. So let's walk back to that scenario you just talked about at the airlines, because I had an experience. It was over 10 years ago, but I'll tell you how it went down. And, you're t and I wanted you to explain to me how someone who's not a developer is going to solve this problem today. So let's talk to that lost luggage. Sure. I remember losing a piece of luggage. I was on my way back from somewhere in the Caribbean or something. And they made me fill out a, a luggage ticket. It was a paper ticket for sure. This is like just 10 years ago, right? It's a paper right. ticket. Like maybe I could read the, uh, the, the customer service reps, their hands, their signature. Like I got, I remember it was receipt paper. I got a piece of receipt paper that had a number, right? <laughs> they said they were going to file the package claim. They couldn't really identify where it was or anything like that at the time. And they told me they would call me. And that was it. That, <laughs> so so let's, let's just imagine it got on another plane. It clearly didn't get on my plane, right? So it got oh, on another totally. plane. So it's somewhere else, right? Yep. So I'm imagining back then they would 
file this in some system, maybe some type of ordering system that tells all the handlers, hey, if you find a piece of luggage with this tag, or I, I don't even know how it goes, like they would send it back to this final destination. But you're saying now that you're talking about a distributed system, right? So we have a distributed system. We'll just assume my luggage went anywhere in the world, right? Yeah, totally. So today you're saying someone could actually develop a system that builds the support ticket inquiry part all the way to the baggage handlers on the ground inside of airports to see these lost baggage tickets that could then find it, let's say scan it and notify me, notify me sitting at home that this is happening, that my bags, bags are coming. And you're saying this system can now be developed with someone with, let's say, less skill in software development. Yeah, absolutely. So you, 100%. So you, you hit on a bunch there. First of all, what you described is absolutely what I think is the biggest competition in low code, which is like some paper-based process that <laughs> you sort of hand over a form, you know, and we see this all the time at QuickBase, whether it's sort of property managers at commercial real estate firms sort of saying, hey, when, I, when somebody comes in and they want a tenant wants to sort of look at an apartment, you know, we have this paper-based form and how do we sort of get them through the lease process and so on and so forth. You're talking, we're talking about lost luggage. And that's a great use case, an example of, of where a platform like QuickBase is, you know, really exposes the value of providing a really powerful, easy to use platform that you can get the subject matter experts working collaboratively to say, okay, how does this process actually work? This is actually how it works in our interactions with customers all the time. It's not about coding and what the architecture is in terms of like, how are we going to do microservices and what's the CICD pipeline look like? That's not what we talk about. What we talk about with customers is, tell me about the process. What's the problem you're trying to solve? So, you know, you have a customer that flew on a flight And when she arrived and went to baggage claim, the luggage wasn't there. So then she goes and has to talk to somebody. What's the information you need? What system then do you have to connect to? And then what's the process flow you want? And what that is, is that's not an interview with technologists. It is in part because you got to figure out what systems connect and what are the security models and so on. But what you're really talking to is the subject matter experts. You're talking to the people closest to the work that are saying, you know, this is the way the process should work because I'm dealing with mad customers that lost their bags all the time. This is what I needed to do. And when you have those people close to the work and they can have a hand in helping to craft that application and you can get it up and running and you can iterate it on it really quickly, what you start getting at is this concept that we talk about with our customers of operational agility, of being able to get those people that are deep in the subject matter expertise of the business and of the process to have a hand in the pile in building the solution because then you're getting something that adoption's way easier because they're not being asked by some developers that may not understand the experience what they need. They're actually part of it. And so when they see the solution, they're getting what they talked about. They have a hand in building it. They're participating. And it leads to just a much more aligned business solution relative to what it is that user needs. And so it's that kind of thing that we see happening all the time. And it's a very, very powerful theme. Because again, getting back to what I was saying at the, at the top, you know, there's such a gap between the technical needs of an organization and the supply of the people. So when you can have a technology solution that can enable people closer to the work to have their hand in the pile, if you will, it leads to something that I think is much more efficient and much more useful to the business as a whole. 
So I want to hit on that talk you had just a second ago, yeah. what you just said about you know the customers and when you meet with customers and how they interact. Yeah, yeah. Because one of the things that we have a privy to be a part of, uh, we do have to shout out to the person, the company that provides it for us. It's called Pulse QA. It is a community of CIOs and CTOs. Mm, cool. And they talk about in these communities how what it means to be a transformational CIO in that they are parts of companies where they are working at companies that the leadership. The board, whoever's pushing that pressure, you kind of mentioned Marriott, or you gave some examples where they're going it up against very digitally first native competition. Right, right, right. To formally transform their process. And so they talk about in these communities that when they sit down, it's not, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's part a tech solution, but it's not always a tech solution. Like I think CEOs are looking at CIs and just checking the box and being like, hey, solve this with a piece of software. But you're saying it's not actually that at all. It's literally, if you don't know what a person is doing in the field, that we're using carbon paper, that we're handing out right, carbon right, paper right. to customers, and that if your handwriting's bad or... Yeah, I mean, for us, what's amazing, what's so powerful about our, about QuickBase and what really sort of, if you will, creates the aha moment with customers, especially early in our journey is the hardest part of building an application in QuickBase is actually the discussion with the customer of, what is the process that you actually want to turn into a digital solution? Like really help us understand what it is. How do we get the luggage from being lost to being found? What has to happen? Tell us what that looks like. And that takes, that can take a day. It can take a couple of days. It can take a week of people on a whiteboard and getting people to collaborate and agree on what do they want. Building the application at that point, once you have clarity, that takes a day or two. And it really blows people's minds where they're like, wait a minute, I thought this was going to take a couple months. I thought this, because, you know, they're used to kind of what you're talking about here. You, you said a really important phrase, digital transformation, which is, of course, you know, the number one priority of the vast bulk of, of CIOs we work with. And, you know, often those, you know, we talk about digital transformation in the context of saying, we believe that organizations need to think of what I call dual track digital transformation. One set of things are going to be your big rock efforts. Things like, I'm going to upgrade my network. I need a new CRM. I need the, you know, like three to five huge projects that often take three years, five years, seven years, really costly. They take a long time. They're important to do. Don't get me wrong. But the challenge is the business really can't, customers aren't going to wait around for three years for you to get a new network. They want better service like now. And COVID has only exposed that more. It's like a how about now world. Like we're not in a place where it's like a week or a month or a quarter. It's just, you just wait on that. You got to be able to respond really quickly. And so we talk a lot about this concept of a dual track transformation where you really need to sort of enable the organization to be able to spin up and iterate on solutions at the edge of the business really quickly so that you have that ability to get better every day and be more responsive to the market as a whole. No, no, I totally see that. And then for yourself, you know, when I take a look at your history, your work history, you know, it looks like you came from HPE, yep. Hewlett Packard Enterprise, before you went to QuickBase. Were you already seeing this, like, I don't know, was it like this, basically this appetite or demand to quickly upgrade systems, change systems, where you said, okay, low code's the future? What were you looking at? You know, go to back to HP. What were you seeing transformationally that made you say like, okay, this is the better opportunity. This is the next thing I want to do. Because, you know, you work at HP. I mean, I, it's not rocket science. You were doing great. You know, <laughs> VP of strategy. Like, right, right. So, well, I think, I think it's exactly, I mean, it is, um, 
it's very related to this concept of dual track digital transformation. Uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, at that company, we worked with the largest and most complicated IT shops on earth. And we were a trusted partner to those shops. And I worked with dozens of customers that were on these digital transformation journeys, the big rock digital transformation journeys. And I can't tell you how many times I talked to a customer and they'd say, you know what? We're five years into our journey and you know, we thought it was going to take six years. It's probably going to take us another 10 years to get where we need to be. And you just kind of realized, you know, this is just too long. It's just not responsive enough. I know you need to do it, but there's got to be a better way for software to provide points on the board for the CIO in the here and now. Like, I don't want to hear, I don't want to go to a CIO and say, look, it's going to take you three years to get this solution when it really is going to be five. I want to be able to go to a CIO. The vision that I get excited about is saying, look, we're going to get you a solution in place that's going to create value for your business in like this quarter. Like, let's go because the time is now. And I was really hungry for that. And when I started to learn about QuickBase, I got very uh, intrigued very quickly because it presented a model and low code more recently has grown as a market. It presented that, that roadmap to say, look, we can help you put points on the board quickly. And I think that's so critical in, a, in this environment, especially. So one of the things that always happens, and we always talk with CIOs about this, is like you know CIOs. I feel like are uniquely jaded to new technology and new implementations <laughs> because they've tried enough things to know that most of them don't work, right, right, right. or the promises of someone you know are just exactly that. And then there's always some like hidden cost or like shadow cost that totally. just they weren't ready for. So talk about the evolution you've seen in CIO appetite for implementing low-code solutions, whether it's QuickBase or some others, because, you know, obviously QuickBase, you know, you can't win all the deals. So we know that yeah, <laughs> some sure. people are getting some others. A lot of people in the market, right. But like, what are what is what is that like? How does that change? Are more people readily open to it? So I'll give you an example. Like if you talked about network infrastructure and network infrastructure, router speeds and things like that, there was probably a period of time where CIOs were, well, we're never going to need that. Why would we need that kind of speed? Now I feel like they all know, like they need the fastest speed possible at the best price, right? Mm. How has that changed? Has that appetite changed? Is there still skepticism in the market? Like how do you feel people are reacting to low-code applications? Yeah, great question. So three years ago when I joined, I think there was a really, you know, very low awareness and very high skepticism among CIOs around low-code platforms. There was this idea of, wait a minute, I'm going to have non-developers that don't work in IT building applications without me sort of in charge of it. That sounds like shadow IT on steroids, yeah. you know? Yeah. And to be honest, there was, a, there was, there was a, you know, there's a non-trivial amount of that, you know, and across the industry where teams would, you know, kind of like, you know, what would happen is classic example, you'd build a, an application in a department, it would grow and expand. And before you knew it, you had some really critical infrastructure and applications that have been built without any IT oversight or, or governance at all. And so what we've done at QuickBase is we've invested very, very heavily over the last, since, since I arrived in this idea of saying, look, IT governance and trustworthiness of the platform is absolutely one of the core pillars of our R&D agenda and always will be because I recognize that, you know, our platform is quite powerful and it is something that businesses rely on, not for sort of 
you know, toy departmental disposal apps. But increasingly, they're using our platform for really critical business processes in their organization. And if that's true, then us being on our front foot with IT and with CIOs and saying, look, we want to be early and often sort of building the right kind of relationship and interaction with you. And I think that's really caused, you know, for us a nice evolution to be a much more trusted vendor and partner uh, in those discussions. And I think what's, what's been happening over the last two years, particularly this year, is you've now started to see just CIOs, you know, we've added a couple to our board from, you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies. Javier Polit is the, the CIO of, of Mondelez, formerly of Procter & Gamble. Paul Von Ottenreit, the recent, uh, most recently the CIO of uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb Celgene. Both of them, as we started those discussions, just as an example, both of them were, um, you know, they, they came to the conversation with, you know, some skepticism about citizen development and about low code. But as they leaned in, they both were kind of of a mind, which was, you know, you're right. I have the need to get more innovation to the edge of my business. And this tool, it not only helps me do it and put power in the hands of my business innovators, my, what Paul calls our citizen innovators, and it gives me the control and governance I need in IT so that I know, you know, how are we dealing with master data management? How are we securing this? How do we ensure PII is not being split? And that evolution, I think, is starting to really help fuel those early catalysts that we're seeing in, in the growth of this market. So we had had some other um, different technology companies come on, IT visionaries. Uh, some are like RPA, and I know you have a partner with uh, some of the RPA companies. But a lot of times they talked about how when they introduce their technologies, a lot of people think, oh, well, this is going to take jobs away, right? Because it sounds like it does, right? But we, right, right. We, we have always maintained the position here at IT Visionaries that tech increases jobs. It doesn't take it away. Otherwise, we would still all be, you know, plowing things on our backs and just never try to, you know, never try to right, build right, a tractor, right. right? So what do you, do you get that kind of resistance? Do people that are, let's say, developers are, or more traditional developers do they give you resistance and say to like, ah, oh, well, you know, you can never replace what a developer can do. Like this application is going to have roadblocks. It's not going to be able to do, you know, I can make a custom solution around anything, but you have, you know, out of the box solutions. Like, do you get that resistance? Do people want to protect their jobs? Is this, and do you view this as a job eroder or is it just that you're going to shift jobs because now that you can handle this, we're going to employ more people with these skills to do this. And then the people that have really strong technical chops can work on even bigger, better, badder projects. Yeah, exactly. It's much more, it's, we're a job creator, not a job killer, 100%. So a lot of what QuickBase does is it empowers those people that are the subject matter experts running processes or needing real-time visibility into the processes that, they, that are important to them it makes their, them more effective at their jobs, like period, full stop. So they're finding them, you know, the users of applications of QuickBase are not sort of being, you know, sort of, it's not like we're going in and saying, hey, replace all these people that are just filling out a form and we're just going to turn it into to robots. This is about taking, about providing visibility, insights, and, and empowerment to those people that are working on processes to better serve their customers by and large. So in, in fact, what we see is, those folks have the ability to get more productive, the, the people that actually need to interact with the applications. At the same time, we have numerous examples, and we're really proud of this, that because our platform is so easy to use and approachable, we have numerous examples of people that were non-technical in background 
have no STEM, you know, background, you know, executive assistants at schools. We have a, a, someone who is a hostess at a restaurant, someone who is uh, working at a cosmetics counter at one of our large customers, a global cosmetics company. She actually started building out QuickBase applications to make her counter more productive so she could sell more and make more money. She now runs all of marketing automation for that company. She evolved her career <laughs> because she's like showed up with this solution. And then the last point is if you're a professional developer, you know, if you're one of the sort of technorati from Silicon Valley and you're all into like sort of all the, the cool new AI stuff or whatever it is, like my position there is we will have religious discussions from time to time about, you know, low code can't do X or can't do Y. And my point of view on that is, yeah, that's fine. Like there's still tons of opportunity and innovation for those folks that are in STEM and that want to be the, the world-class developers there's tons of stuff for them to do and they probably don't want to or need to be working on the style of applications that, that you know, QuickBase and other low-code platforms are working on. And that's perfectly fine. And it, it all comes back to the point that the demand for digital solutions is just almost limitless. So to me, there's never an end in sight. You know, the more we do, the more opportunity it creates is kind of my position on that. So I want to, so I laugh, uh, the reason why I laughed, uh, sorry, and I always laugh when people like tell a story of someone basically shutting someone else up. And so, so to me, because for example, for a long time in tech, I think there's, or let's not just say tech, but like, there's a lot of stigma sometimes with like, let's say where people are job status, right? So the idea that a counter person can actually come up with the best way to sell more makeup at a technological level for a lot of, I think, tech practitioners are like, well, that's that's kind of too far. Like you right, can't possibly right. know more than me, but to your point, what you're saying is earlier with the baggage situation, or in this case, the makeup counter, the person who is closest to the problem probably is the most equipped to solve the problem. Yeah, totally. And so, and so you're unlocking this, uh, let's say this creative ability, you're unlocking, you're giving these people, not these people, but people in these roles, the tools to maybe unlock a revenue stream or a process stream that's going to create revenue for the business. Yeah. hundred percent. So I have this kind of debate at, at times with people where they'll, they'll say, um, it's sort of at a large level, they'll say, well, look, in the future, you're either going to be someone who's a, a software developer sort of building out what the world works on, or you're going to be basically unemployable, like, and you need universal basic income. And I think that is absolutely wrong. I think that there are so many areas where people who have like deep subject matter expertise and insights you know, in whatever business that they're working in or whatever customer relationship they're trying to improve, do you want to give them tools to be able to make that better? And I think that that dynamism and the creativity that we see every day, like really reinforces that. And I'll, I'll reinforce that further with a quote, one of our customers at a, a large um, investment research house uh, gave us. And they had tried to, be, you know, they have analysts who are studying stocks and equities and companies and they write reports and send them out. And for about a year, they'd try to get a development team to build their group of research analysts, the application that they needed using kind of traditional tools. And after spending nine months trying to get them an application that that team would use, the leader decided to introduce them to QuickBase. And what he told us was, look, it's way easier and faster for us to just teach these analysts how to use QuickBase so they can build what they want than it is for us to try and teach the, what they need to a bunch of developers. And I think that's in, in part like the, the, the vision and a lot of what we see kind of at large in 
this trend. And, you know, and I think it's, it's one that has a lot of room left to run. No, I love that. I love hearing these stories of innovations close to the front line. And I always like to remind everyone who's listening, never forget the world's richest man, Jeff Bezos, when he was on his hands and knees packing orders at Amazon, his first thought process was not, you know, any digital solution. It was to get knee sliders. That's, uh, he's legendary for that, right? And when his teammate looked at him and said, Jeff, we need packing tables. And he's like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so never forget, you know, ideas and innovation, they're going to materially move. Don't, they don't have to come from the top. They can come from anywhere. I love this thought and idea that this is just unlocking opportunity. And when you step back and think about this, right? So as the CTO, as the VP of product, you're in charge of putting, let's say, the next wave of features that unlocks more opportunity. So the world has a ton of opportunity. How do you focus and prioritize? How do you choose like, okay, obviously your platform can go in many directions today. How do you choose what to say yes to? Yeah, it's a, a great question. And um, my short answer is, it's really important to go outside in and to think left to right. So what's that mean? So let me, let me yeah. unpack both those. Yeah, let me, let me tell you what that means. So outside in is basically about like, you've got, you've got to sort of start with the customer in mind and really sort of understand what's happening in the market and understand what your customer is or prospective customers are hiring you to do. Like what job do they want to hire your platform or an alternative platform to do for them? Because that starts to really get you familiar with what are the obvious features that are needed to sort of solve the requirements that they have. And then what are the non-obvious, you know, what are the latent desires that they have to solve those problems? And, you know, you just have to spend a lot of time on that dimension first before you come back to, okay, what's the solution or how do we build something? Because, and that's a really important, it's a very basic, but it's a, a foundational point because it can be so easy for an engineering and a product organization to start thinking about, well, we know how to do these things or we're comfortable sort of building this kind of technology and you start building technology for the sake of technology. And that's not really helpful. You see this, I think you see this a lot, for example, right now in AI companies. You know, you've yep. got every company that wants to get funded in the Valley is basically like, well, we're an AI company. And that's awesome. AI is a transformative technology. There are going to be a ton of really big companies that come out of this wave, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I've talked to, you know, very senior IT leaders at, at big companies where they'll say, look, if I talk to one more AI company <laughs> that's solving for me a problem I didn't even know I had or cared about, I'm going to scream. I want an AI company that's going to solve a problem that I do care about because I've got like 50 of them. So please help me with that. So that's really what I talk mean when I talk about outside in. Start with the customer, really start outside your four walls and then work backwards. That's outside in. Left to right is really about sort of ensuring that as a product organization, you know, I've got to be sure that I'm not just thinking about building technology and delivering it into the market. I've got to be thinking about how does that connect all the way through to what we're marketing, what we're selling, how we're supporting it, what our channels partners are going to do, because it really is, our product is, is certainly sort of foundational to what the customer is hiring us to do. But it really is that whole portfolio of how is what we're building aligning to what is being sold and how is being, what is being sold by the people on the front lines aligning to what we're building. And that's what I mean when I think about it, you've got to be left to right. So that's how I unpack. You've got to be outside in and you've got to think left to right, if that makes sense. 
So how do you evaluate all those inputs though? Because, you know, if you have this many customers, yep. sure, they might have common problems, but we could also assume that they have unique problems, Yep. right? So you have sales reps in the field. They're hearing problems that you're not familiar with. They're saying, this is the problem, right? You got your actual engineers, product developers, customer, customer service reps, success reps. They believe they have a solution for a problem in hand. Totally. So what is your evaluation criteria? Yeah, so that's a great, it's a great question. And the way we think about, so I'm really proud of the, the way our product management team has gone about this because what they do is, you're absolutely right. We're really lucky at QuickBase and most SaaS platforms are because not only do you have all the input from customer success and from your customer advisory council and from salespeople and from market analysts and so on and so forth, you actually can look at how are people using the platform? Like you can see it because the data is all instrumented, which is awesome. And which is great. The challenge is, however, you have, as you're pointing out, a ton of data to sift through and you've got to ultimately prioritize it. And what the, the team has done a very effective job at, in my mind, is they've built a, a QuickBase application that basically starts taking all that input. And then what they do is they start saying, okay, based on these problems, they try to then delineate, okay, let's take of all this input. Let's say it sort of comes to some N number of problems we aspire to solve. And let's say that number is 20 of them. So then you have to stack rank. What are the 20 problems that you want to solve most acutely? And how do you do that? And then, so if you think of those as the rows in our table in our QuickBase app, then the columns are really a view on, okay, what do we think are the most biggest priorities in the next year or two years? Because your product is inherently long lead time. And we think about things like, okay, over the next year or two is expanding in middle market and above and enterprise. Is that a bigger opportunity for us? Or are we really focused more on small business? Or would we rather sort of think about um, accelerating, you know, our growth in this segment, such as, um, you know, we want to for example, we could say, we want to really grow our international footprint or no, no, we want to be focused in this segment and in market. And based on those sort of criteria that we define, and we do this regularly, and we ask ourselves, okay, are these still the right criteria based on the business strategy that myself and, you know, the rest of the, the senior leadership team have come about? We then have a sense of, okay, these are the factors. And then we go through a robust discussion of how do you weight those factors? And then we have a robust sort of evaluation criteria type discussion where we'll all ask ourselves, okay, score, you know, your, you know take this specific requirement and let's score it across these five factors that we've defined. And then let's debate and sort of come out with when that weighted average score comes out, let's really debate. Do we feel right about it? Because at a certain point, you get to a place where you have a stack rank and then the line comes into place. The line is basically the cut line. of yeah. We have resources to reasonably commit to the stuff above and we, have, we aren't going to be able to do the stuff below. And then you have to sort of decide, you know, what's going to make the most sense. And you have to be, I think, pretty ruthless about it because otherwise you really end up in a world where you're peanut buttering and you're dabbling and you're not really sort of creating the breakthrough of, of innovation that customers care about because you kind of are halfway on a bunch of stuff. You ultimately have to make decisions that say, look, we're trying to make a decision that, that sort of serves the best interests of everybody in an impactful way. And that's going to mean some other thing that's also really important. We're just not going to get to because we'd rather do one thing well than two things poorly. 
so I was part of a software company that eventually found an exit, but we, I remember getting to that point when it was like the feature creep or the feature requests were just to the point where it was like, it's so hard to evaluate them. I think ultimately looking back on it, we made, we made the wrong choices. I mean, that's easier to look back and figure that out. And it ultimately hampered us from growth because we ended up building or, uh, you know, shipping a feature set that was too narrow in its application. Therefore it was not, it wasn't like in high demand. It didn't generate enough customer base. It made one customer happy, but then everyone else was like, eh. <laughs> like yeah, this is where, this is where it's so important again, to be outside in. I, I recently, um, at a, a re, we do an annual user conference. And the last time we did that in person before the pandemic, we were at a, uh, a dinner with some of our customers and it was the night before a, a keynote. And, um, we were about to announce a bunch of new features and capabilities. And, um, I remember one of our, our builders, one of our customers, she pulled me aside and she said, I heard about these announcements and I'm really disappointed you chose to do this. And I, I'm not going to tell you the feature because I can't remember it off the top of my head. And I said, well, listen, here's how we thought about that. And I said, we thought about that because it was, we would trade, then the feature set was in the area of making end users that consume QuickBase applications, you know, more visually delightful, easier to use, all that kind of stuff. And my perspective was, look, we thought long and hard about it. And we thought that, you know, you're a builder, you're somebody developing in QuickBase. And I know you want the feature that we're not going to give you right now. But we thought that the trade-off was we'd rather make it so that you don't have that. If I had to trade, like you getting a feature that makes your experience as a builder better, or you could make an experience where you're delivering to your user, where they're more delighted that on the margin, it's a tough call but I'd rather have you be in a position where you may not have what you want for your job right now, but what you deliver to your users, they love even more. And she was, she was like, that makes total sense. I totally buy into that. I'm really happy you made that choice in that way. And so it just reinforces the importance of always talking sort of to customers and try and explain what you're doing and why, because you're right. Product management's a really hard job. You're making really hard decisions, prioritization trade-offs all the time. And you know, nobody's going to be happy all the time. And so I found that the best way to address that is to try and build, you know, as many relationships as you can to just get feedback and tell people why you're making those decisions. Because by and large, they're going to give you really good insight as to, okay, I understand the trade-off and I do it the same way. Or they'll tell you, no, you totally missed it, <laughs> missed the boat, in which case that's a different problem. But I just value that very heavily. So I loved all of that, the insight that you shared regarding how to make decisions and your idea of explaining decisions to customers so that they can kind of at least see a window into your mind or your company's mindset so they don't think that, you know, these ideas are made in a vacuum. One of the things I always want to ask, I ask everyone who's in charge of products, CTOs specifically, is I feel like CTOs and product people typically have this story. Our audience always loves it. Tell me a time when you were pretty confident this product or feature was going to fail, but because consensus was ship it, you shipped it anyway. And it ended up being a big winner where you were like, oh, well, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> that's a really, that's a really, that's a really great question. Let me think for a second. I'll give you an example while you're trying to think. When we interviewed the CEO of Indeed, the job board, he made a mention that one of his team members thought that they should ask users to take photos of help wanted signs in the mirror, typically like local retail stores and index those jobs inside of Indeed. And they said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It turned out to be like their second most used feature uh, that they oh had gosh. shipped in that calendar year. <laughs> I mean, they shipped it yeah. because they were like, okay, well, I mean, it sounds like I'm willing to experiment with it. I don't really believe in it, but I'll experiment with it. And it turned out to be 
a huge winner. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. T- I just can't imagine tons of people going by like ship, like, you know what I mean? Help wand in the window. They take a picture. It loads to indeed. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh, that's great. Yeah. So for us, I would, um, I would say there are two quick ones that I would use from our, our time at QuickBase. One is kind of in the spirit of, of Indeed that um, was kind of, I've got to give, uh, you know, tip my cap to the, the head of product management that works for me, which was, you know, for years, QuickBase had this login screen for our users when not, not the marketing website, it's sort of the login screen when you're coming to use our platform. And it was a super elegant, fully white screen with a dialogue box and a login or cancel type of thing. And we have tens of thousands of hours of time per week that eyeballs are looking at that screen. And somebody had the, the team had the bright idea of like, you know what? That's like ad space. Like, shouldn't we announce that like we have a user conference coming up? Shouldn't we announce that like there's a big, you know, release coming up of a new feature set? Shouldn't we give pointers to resource? And so we were, we have a a very robust co-op program at QuickBase where we uh, work with universities to bring in CS students to be part of our dev teams. And over the course of a, of a month, you know, they basically rebuilt the homepage so that the, the sign-in page now has information and uh, other resources, you know, on that basic page. And it's been, you know, immensely helpful in terms of driving more usage of other capabilities and features. And so I thought that was, that to me was a, a really good example of something that we were kind of, it was real obvious though, and it was just all upside for us. A more, maybe a more nuanced one is um, we, two years ago, were uh, building and uh, delivering a new workflow automation capability in QuickBase, kind of a if this, then that mm-hmm. type of workflow automation inside of QuickBase app. So it's like, if you're filling, if somebody orders some SKU, then that, that has a bunch of parts that have to be, you know, you shouldn't have to manually add those parts to your invoice or whatever. You should be able to automate that. So when, if the, if is when I add this SKU, then that would be the next, you know, bill parts of that bill of bill of material would be automatically rendered. And, um, you know, the team had, had, that had sort of been, it was a pretty obvious feature set for sure. But, the team had sort of started in kind of a, a hackathon. They built some prototypes and then they were like, we're going to turn it into a product. And we're going to turn it into a feature. And we were all kind of like, okay, yeah, this is really important. We're really glad to be bringing this, but it was really seen as kind of for us a, a step on the roadmap. And the reality is we launched that and very, very quickly the usage and the adoption of that capability just completely outstripped any thoughts we had had of demand for that capability. We had, you know, like a third of our customers within just a couple of months were using that capability. And it got so acute actually that we looked at it and said, you know, we need a bigger boat was the kind of thing that we came out with. So that actually was one of the core elements that drove an acquisition we made last summer of a company called CloudPipes, which is now kind of the foundation of our integration and workflow platform. I mean, you mentioned Zapier earlier, a partner of ours. But it, we've got a lot of Zapier-like capabilities to connect to third-party systems and a very, very robust, highly scalable workflow automation capability that's going to be a very strategic platform. And it was all unlocked by the building and shipping of automations, which we knew was going to be important. We had no idea how important it was going to be. 
That's always the best part, in my opinion, of products and technology, right? Is like the things you just don't see coming, or maybe you, right. you're maybe even iffy on. You kind of see it, but you're like, whoa, it's just, yeah. It's a, yes, yeah, materially different, right? It changes, game-changing technology that you ship. Yeah. This is awesome. Well, we're coming to the end of our interview, and we always have to do a little shout out to our sponsor and enter the lightning round where we get Jay's opinions on quick little topics. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Customer 360 Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Jay, do you have any favorite work-related hacks? Uh, yes. My favorite work-related hack is every morning what I do is I go to Todoist, which is my to-do list. And I'm really religious about sort of getting to what are the three things I've got to get done today and make those priorities ones that are front and center. And I try really hard to make sure that by the end of the day, those three things get done. Three and only three. Very good. Got to knock out your three most important things and reprioritize every single day. What do you think is the most addicting app on your phone? And don't say to do is because that doesn't sound like it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Um, The most addictive app on my phone right now has got to be I would probably have to say Instagram. It is. Just because it's, it's just, it's just got, it's got me by the brainstem. Do you follow a lot of skiers and ski resorts on Instagram? I follow a lot of uh, Pittsburgh Steelers news and photos from, from that beautiful franchise and a lot of <laughs> ski, a lot of skiing. Yep. You know, we don't see as many sports fans in the IT world, but I'm glad to hear it. Pittsburgh Steelers are doing great. So far, so good. So far, so good. Best place you've ever vacationed? Shimoda, Japan. Uh, when I worked for Microsoft early in my career, I had the opportunity to live in Tokyo with my family uh, and run a, 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 a team there in the Microsoft Japan office. And my family and a, a dear friend's family and I, we all went to uh, Shimoda, a nice little small ski surfing village in, uh, that was just awesome. I mean, it's not super fancy, it's not, but it was just like an awesome weekend with my dogs, with my family, with my friends, surfing. Uh, which I don't even do, but we had a lot of fun, like splashing <laughs> around with kids. And so that was one of the places that I would sort of remark as just a remarkably interesting and fascinating place. Very good. And right now you're a seasoned, you're a seasoned vet. What would you give for your best advice for a first time CTO? Oh, that's a great question. My mantra is all about be outside in, like start, start with customers and work backwards. A lot of the, the, the work that you have to do on technology is certainly important, but you've got to be partnered closely with customers, closely with your head of sales, closely with your head of marketing so that what you're building is going to be sold. There you go. And what is the one question that no one ever asks you that you wish you got asked more often? <laughs> That's a great, I don't know. Um, I could say <laughs> something non-personal or say something non-business related and say, how do you think the Steelers are going to do this year? Um, <laughs> But I think that I, I think the question that, that would actually be good to, to ask that people don't ask me much is, you know, what books are you reading that are helping you out? There, there you go. What are you reading that's helping you out? I've become a big fan over the last year of Patrick Lencioni's books on business and on leadership. He's got a book called The Advantage, another called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And to be clear, most business books I look at as, you know, like, at most blog posts that get turned into like 200 and some pages and then they get turned into, to, I mean, they're mostly nonsense and useless. His books, I think are really, really practical and they've literally changed the way I lead and how I think about approaching meetings, how I think about approaching team building, how I think about 
growing and building culture. And I think it's just been really remarkable. And I feel really lucky to have discovered his books. Gotcha. What's like an example? What's one nugget that that you've taken with you? One nugget. Yeah. Great example. Um, When you're starting to form a team, he talks a lot about how important it is to earn and build trust. And an exercise he suggested that I, I think is really great, particularly if I've got a new team or a team that is, you know, potentially like a little bit not engaged or upset about something is he suggests having a round where everyone in the meeting introduces themselves and talks about some challenge they overcame as a child. Not in like some deep psycho, you know, psychiatric chair type mm-hmm. of thing, but just like talk to me about something that you went through that was a challenge that you overcame. And what it does is it starts to reveal a really personal and open side of people. The other thing is he recommends that the leader starts first so that he or she exposes his vulnerability or her vulnerability right out into the open. And I found that a really nice way to, you know, really start to craft and and to catalyze an early foundation of trust when you're trying to build a team, which is, you know, is is vitally important. There it is. For first time CTOs, if you're not talking to customers, you better learn to talk to customers and the books, the author, can you repeat it one more time, Jay? Yeah. Patrick Lencioni, L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I. So if you like the way Jay thinks, check out Patrick Lencioni's books. And if you get a chance to go to Shimoda, Japan, which I've already now written down, I'm going to visit because I love surfing a little surf town. We're going to hit up Shimoda, Japan. Jay, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. At current time of recording, the Pittsburgh Steelers are 4-0. Yeah. Will, will that continue? I don't know. <laughs> the standard is the standard. Albert, it's been a delight talking to you. Thanks so much for the time today. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us on the show. Until next time. Take care. All my best. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. <laughs>